What's going on? Welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Mike, and across the booth from me here is Tim. That was a great intro, man. Yeah, I pray, and I've been practicing. We were just talking <laughs> about how to do intros on a podcast. Let me tell you something. When you're talking to random people on the internet, it is hard to figure out how to address you all. Yeah, especially if they're not in the room. Well, right, and you don't want to say you guys because, like, obviously you're not all guys. True. That's not a good one. Uh, and so, yeah, what do you say? Uh, I guess, hello. But <laughs> completely off topic. This is <laughs> this is what happens when Tim and I get in the booth and Josh isn't here. And we're just like, oh, well, we're going to talk about all this random stuff that we want to talk hey, about. That's, I'm into it. But voting special this week. So our guest this week, Mayor Andrew Ginther, and he had actually just gotten back from voting when he got here. So I want to tell everybody to get out and vote. If you want to vote early, there's a center down on Morse Road. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the only spot in Franklin County that you can. Only spot in Franklin County. It that looks you intimidating, but the line goes fast. Yeah. So it was like, he said it was like around, like it was like, 300 people in line, but he got in and out in 30 minutes or so. So if you want to vote early, get down there and vote. Have you, have you gone over yet? I have not. I've actually, so when I looked, I, you can check your voting information and your registration mm -hmm. and where your polls are at online. If you go, I think it's voteohio.gov. Vote.org. Vote.org. Easier. And so my voting booth is like literally right behind my apartment. Like oh, nice. I can walk. Two minutes. So you're just going to do it on the, on the day? Yep. I'm just going to get in I'm now. curious what it's going to look like because so many people have gone early. The turnouts right. have been insane. So I'm wondering if there's just a much bigger number or if no one's good, everyone's going to already vote and I'll just, and just walk in. Right. Point is, go if you're not registered, <laughs> it's too late now, right? So No, you can still register. You can still register to vote. So get out and register to vote. I have and I have a post up on Only in Seabus that has all the information. With, check it out. Uh, At you know, Only in Seabus. So, yeah. It'll be there. Uh, and guys, listen. Really, it's a democracy, but it's only a democracy if we all get out and vote. Otherwise, it's like a democratic um, republic. But yeah. You know, well, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> right. Got that. Okay. Don't we get should, started. Don't get me we started. should do an episode <laughs> oh, yeah, where about, we talk the about the electoral college and the difference between a like that would be an interesting episode. I, I would love that. We are not qualified at all to talk about it, but I mean, I feel pretty qualified. Right. Yeah. I've done I my mean, research. So there's actually, uh, if you guys want to see, hear a really, really good podcast on that, there's a stuff you should know episode mm -hmm. on the electoral college. And yeah, so turn off this one. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't turn this off. Finish listening to us and then go check that out. Yeah, you one got out. plenty of time. You're not going to do anything. But like we said, Mary Andrew Ginther on the podcast today, really interesting guy. Uh, and regardless of your political views, right, it's it's always great to get to talk to the guy who's actually leading the city. Uh, and mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. And, um, you know, if you do, uh, keep listening. <laughs> that's great. That's great advice. And go I'm vote. So lost. If we don't, if Today we don't, I've been so lost. It's terrible. <laughs> no, I think it's great. And then go vote. Obviously, like right. if you uh, if you want to complain about the outcome, you better have voted. Yeah, you can't. There's no complaining if you didn't vote. Mm -hmm. That's the rules. So, so with that being said, enjoy this episode and then listen to some more when you're done. And we'll be right back. <laughs> this is conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Today on the show, Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, a little uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believed in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Olman. There's this genuine 
pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7-365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. And this is a uh, special voting edition, I'm going to call it. We're excited because the election's coming up. And we're even more excited because we've got a chance to talk with a very special guest today, Mayor Andrew Ginther. And for those of you who may be living under a rock and are not following uh, the political goings-on in Columbus, Mayor Ginther is the mayor of Columbus. And he was elected to the mayor's office as the 53rd mayor of Columbus in 2015, succeeding Mayor Michael B. Coleman, who was the longest serving mayor in Columbus City history. And Mayor Ginther previously served on the Columbus City Council from 2007 to 2015. Uh, he grew up right here in Columbus, having attended Columbus City Schools. And uh, we're really excited to have the mayor on today to talk about his life, Columbus, his vision for the future of our great city. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Mayor. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's very exciting to have you here today. And um, kind of a place we'd like to start is just talking a little bit about you know, what's going on in your life. So how's, how's your day going so far? Uh, today's going wonderful. It's been an exciting day. I got to start off with my family this morning. We got to vote at the Early Vote Center this morning and put in a plug for voting since this is the voting edition. The, the line wrapped all the way around the building, but from start until finish, 36 minutes. And it was very efficient, very safe, lots of uh, distance space. They even had uh, uh, disinfected styluses to use on the voting machine. So you didn't actually have to use your finger and so forth. And uh, it, they do a pretty amazing job. There they were several hundred people in line. But uh, so that's how I got to start today and, and talk to the press about lots of different things. Uh, that's the, the one thing you find out quickly as mayors. They can ask you about everything from the dog that got loose uh, to uh, violence in the city to Syria and world peace. You know, as mayor, they, you know, they expect you to have an opinion on just about anything and everything. So how do you, how do, how do you handle that from that perspective? I mean, that's gotta be a lot of pressure going out to the public and, and obviously you're excited about it and that's what you signed up for But, you know, trying to make sure that you're well-versed and you're up on everything that's going on around you. How do you, how do you approach something like that? Well, it's really, uh, just trying to be in 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 touch and in tune with with what's going on, and uh, part of it's just practice, right? I mean, uh, I think I am uh, started out as a better mayor after going through the process of running for mayor uh, and uh, studying up and and learning a lot about things. And certainly, I spent six years on the school board, uh, eight years on council, the last four of which is council president. And former Mayor Coleman, a very close uh, mentor, friend, kind of let me in a lot in his last term. He was still the mayor. He was still calling the shots. But he he brought me in a great deal to, to have me see what all was required to be mayor. Because being mayor is different than being a... Uh, a council member or a school board member, being a CEO, a business owner. Uh, it's a different role and responsibility. Uh, and I think it's all about practice and repetition, regardless of what we do, uh, you know, getting more accustomed to it, used to it, and also getting more secure and confident in your own style and voice. Uh, you know, as close as I am to him and a great mentor and friend that he's been to me, 
I'm different. I handle things differently. I approach things differently, uh, think about things differently. And, uh, you know, you have to have a certain level of confidence and security to lead in a role as mayor. You know, it's always that balance between having thick enough skin that you're not constantly looking over your shoulder, but not so thick that you're numb. And uh, I don't always get that just right. And so uh, the people of Columbus help to remind me when I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine it would be. I'd never actually thought about that part of like running for political office, which is, you know, putting yourself out there and having everybody pick your every word apart, everything you say, everything you do, right? They're kind of monitoring you constantly and you slip up once, it's kind of like people are going to pounce. Nice thing about this podcast is I, I can always cut everything that I say. That right, way I right. sound perfect <laughs> and smart with every delivery. So it's nice. So we, we usually start these interviews though, and we went off cuff a little bit talking about your background and childhood and some significant milestones because uh, interesting to see, especially the the leaders across our city, how they got to where they are today and, and what shaped them. So you look back, I know that you you were brought up here in Columbus. Um, what about in terms of like siblings and childhood and, and what your parents did? Well, as everything, it's a complicated answer. So I have three siblings, two by birth and one adopted, but probably one of the most impactful things for me growing up in Columbus was my parents served as foster parents for the better part of three or four decades. So they counted up at one point or another that 47 kids had come through our house, uh, you know, as foster brothers and sisters, some coming to spend the night, spending 10 or 15 years. And so not all 47 at the same time, otherwise we needed the entire city block, but uh, kids that, you know, came from abusive and neglectful uh, backgrounds. Uh, almost exclusively, we were part of a, a network, parenthesis, family advocates that was primarily teenagers. And a lot of these kids, they didn't um, make it at our house. We're ended uh, going to end up at the the Buckeye Boys Ranch, is what it was called at the time. Or for girls, it was Rosemont. And so, in in institutions, and ultimately, if they didn't get their act together, they probably would end up in the juvenile uh, criminal justice system at Tico or otherwise. So. Um, these were kids that had seen and experienced a lot, and in some cases, we were pretty mad at the world and pretty mad at their uh, situations in life. One moment and story that still impacts me to this day is I had a foster brother, call him uh, Jeff, to protect his privacy, who came to live with us. And we were like just about a year year and a half apart. And we were battling all the time, fighting at school, fighting on the football field, fighting everywhere. And we really didn't like each other. But he came to me one day and asked me if I would come visit, come with him to visit his dad. And I was kind of caught off guard, first of all, that he asked me for anything because we really didn't care for each other at all. And then learned that I'd be going to visit his dad with him. His dad was in prison. And his dad was in prison for killing his mom. And so here I am at 12 years old, walking into this prison with my foster brother, who I couldn't really stand at the time. But the fact that he made himself that vulnerable and asked me to come along, I think showed how scared he was. But there I walked in with my dad. And if you've ever been in a prison or a jail, just the the power of that experience, especially the first time, the sights, the smells, the sounds uh, of that. And it really impacted me on that day still here at the ripe old age of 45, that I walked out of that prison that day with my dad and uh, Jeff uh, left his behind and would never have the relationship that I had with my dad. And because of what his dad did, never have any kind of relationship with his mom. So I, I, if it, for me, it, it became crystal clear 
life is all about opportunities and chances, and not all of us are born into the same situation with the same opportunities. So your your life progresses, and then uh, eventually, you know, college opportunity and education come about. Where do you decide to go, and and what do you decide to pursue, and where do your interests take you? Well, I'm too slow to play football at Ohio State, so I went to go play for the Fighting Quakers of Earlham College. Uh, it's kind of like Jumbo Shrimp and other oxymorons, the Fighting Quakers. It was quite a ferocious conference in the NCAC at the time. We had the Battling Bishops of Ohio Wesleyan. Uh, the Hiram Terriers uh, and the Fighting Quakers of Earlham College, but uh, went and played there. It's Division Three. It was great experience, incredible school. Loved playing football and uh, what position? Tight end and defensive end. Tight end. Uh, I can see and that. So a few years ago, a few pounds ago, but uh, tight end, defensive end, but end up at Earlham, and then they decide to go to the run and shoot offense. So not much use of a tight end. Uh, in the run and shoot offense. So really focused on defense, but had a great time outside linebacker and defensive end. We had a lot of fun, but it was an incredible place. I had never met a Quaker. The closest thing that I came to a Quaker was looking at the uh, oatmeal box on the breakfast table. So I learned a lot about uh, Quakers, Quakerism, and and they also gave me some incredible experiences. Quite honestly, the two things, if somebody looks at my resume today that virtually everybody asked about is studying abroad in Northern Ireland as part of a peace and global study program that Earlham had in place. So we were in Derry and Belfast and studied at uh, the University of Ulster McGee College and then Queen's University in Belfast uh, as part of the Corey Mille reconciling community there. And then two summers at the Carter Center uh, working for former President Carter and their only domestic program there, the Atlanta Project, including Olympic summer in 1996 was pretty awesome to be in Atlanta. Then. So on that note, you studied through college, but were you studying political science at that point? Did you know you wanted to get into politics already? I did. And uh, probably from an early age, based on my parents, how they were involved and engaged. Uh, so that little bit of time I was telling you guys earlier that we lived in Defiance, Ohio. My father was a Vietnam vet and became very close with then the Democratic mayor of Defiance, Tom Wiseman. And he appointed my dad to the law director position, was an independently elected position. So there we are in Defiance in 1980. One, I think, and uh, dad had to run for election then, and he ended up losing in a very close race to a fellow that went on to be law director, I think county prosecutor. Last time I checked, he was on the Court of Appeals there. That was my first campaign. So vote for my dad t-shirts and homemade sheets, uh, signs that we put on the side of the van, the minivan for the parades and going door to door. That was my first taste, but just having a, a family and the parents that we did that were so engaged in what was going on in the community. And mom was a social worker by training, dad a lawyer by training. And I always knew it, but I discovered early on right out of school that Washington just wasn't for me. Uh, had a job lined up on Capitol Hill, went and spent some time with other classmates and so forth there in DC. But it just seemed uh, disconnected from what I wanted to go into public service. And I got to tell you, local elected service, I think, is the place you can have the greatest impact. And I'm not sure there's a, a better job uh, than being mayor of an American city, especially a great American city like Columbus. JME Hospitality, your hospitality design partner. JME Hospitality works with food service facility owners, operators, and development pros to improve the overall efficiency of customer experience and the profitability of customer operations. JME has been consulting in the hospitality operations space for over 45 years, providing solutions for schools and universities, healthcare institutions, hotels, resorts, and more. 
They also have extensive experience working within the design, construction, and manufacturing sectors. JME specializes in helping with a variety of different problems, including the COVID effect, redesigning the customer experience to protect their clients and the public during the pandemic. JME is passionate about serving the community you live in. They're doing this by supporting cancer research as well as youth outreach. And JME is offering a free consultation to all Conquering Columbus listeners. Just visit jmehospitality.com. That's jmehospitality.com. And mention the Conquering Columbus podcast to receive your free consultation. So what were you doing before you ran for city council? So I served on the Board of Education. I ran for the Board of Education when I was 24, 1999, and lost badly. Uh, there were 16 candidates. I came in eighth. Uh, there were only four seats available and worked on campaigns and then went to work for a PR and communications company for about 10 or 11 years and then went to go work for the Children's Hunger Alliance, a statewide nonprofit that helps to expand school breakfast, after school meals with school districts, uh, cities, rec and park programs. I worked there while I was council president. And then once I was elected mayor, I do this uh, more than full time. So that's that social work mindset and uh, maybe aspect and, and nature of wanting to give back in some ways always kind of been with you, it seems like. I mean, working through yeah. the Hunger Alliance and, and the other initiatives you've been a part of. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, my parents were very clear. I think at the age of 12, we had to uh, start working or volunteering uh, 10 hours a week. Uh, in addition to all the other job requirements around the house and everything else, learning how to cook and do our own laundry. Uh, my parents would always say, we're not raising children, we're raising adults. Uh, and so uh, part of that responsibility was also giving back. You know, funnily enough, we actually had uh, Judy Mobley of Children's Hunger Alliance oh, on great. the show. She's fabulous. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Great. She, that was all the way back at episode 161. So <laughs> uh, getting close to 100 episodes ago. Uh, so after that, where do you go from there as you continue to go into your political career? What happens next? After school board and city council. Yep. So city council here, after city council here, you yeah, became mayor. mayor. Became mayor. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and I think I had served eight years on council for as president and I felt like I had done it all, an awful lot of what I wanted to do and felt good about my service, but was ready to do something else. And then uh, former Mayor Coleman called me the night before he announced uh, back in, I guess it would have been 2014 because I was elected in 2015 to let me know that he wasn't running again and had to make a decision pretty quickly about running, what impact it would have on my uh, wife and our daughter who was born in 2010. Uh, there's nothing like quite running for mayor and being mayor. Um, uh, you can serve in lots of different elected roles in this community. And the one thing I have discovered is that the two things people know who folks are in Columbus is the head football coach at Ohio State and the mayor. And so it's a different type of environment for both my wife and daughter being part of this journey. And so getting acclimated to that. Of course. And those are pretty big shoes to fill stepping in for Mayor yeah. Coleman, right? I mean, you mentioned earlier, he was the longest serving mayor Absolutely. in Columbus history. So was there any bit of, well, I guess, we could start at the campaign, but I, I have to ask this question. Was there any bit of nerves stepping into those shoes? Sure. The, the day you stop getting nervous, whether you're an athlete or professional uh, or uh, an elected official. I mean, the last time I ran, I went, I ran unopposed and I still woke up very, very nervous on election day, even being unopposed. And quite honestly, 
as an elected official, if you uh, stop getting nervous on election day, you should stop because either you feel entitled to the position or you don't care anymore. And so uh, I think, you know, the old saying, I think Janet Jackson taught me way back when you you run scared or unopposed. I'm not even sure you, uh, even when you're running unopposed, you should be at ease with things. But yeah, and I think, you know, following somebody, we, we joked about this, former president, um, OSU president Michael Drake and I would talk about this because he followed Gordon Gee, right? The greatest politician who never ran for office. I mean, you spend any time with Gordon Gee. I mean, it's just an incredible, effusive, charismatic giant. Dr. Drake was very different very competent, very great at what he did, just very different stylistically. So President Drake and I used to joke about, do you want to be the guy that follows Woody Hayes or Jim Tressel or Urban Meyer, or, you know, the guy after that guy? Uh, but, you know, we found our way. And uh, I know that uh, there are a lot of great things that we've been able to build upon that former Mayor Coleman uh, started. And because I was able to work with him so closely for eight years, I've been able to focus on some things that I know were really important to him and others, particularly neighborhoods. I mean, uh, incredible amount of work that was done downtown, revitalizing downtown, bringing downtown back. Uh, and we've tried to really focus on trying to take that same time and attention to focus on neighborhoods maybe that have been left out and left behind. And so talk about that campaign a little bit. Mike, Mike kind of prefaced uh, a little bit earlier, but what was it like? I mean, obviously your life started to change, I'm assuming throughout the campaign, more mm-hmm. publicity, more in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. What was that transition period like? Did you have any hesitation as you were going through that phase and, and maybe this isn't the path I should be going down? Well, you learned quickly that you were not just running for city council or for school board, that you know when you run for mayor, there's a different a profile to it in a, a different microscope, different level of criticism but also a greater platform for you to talk about your vision for the future of the city. And so it took some getting used to. I'd come back to practice and repetition and uh, and comfort in your uh, own skin, talking about the things that you wanted to focus on, that you wanted to accomplish in your own way, uh, and being able to connect and communicate with people in a different way. I mean, people feel differently when they're voting for a mayor or governor or president. than they do for a lot of other elected uh, offices. They 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 want to have a connection with you. They want to see you, touch you, feel you, and understand where you're coming from, what you're all about. You know, kind of they want they want to kick the tires on you and see what you're made of. And so there were many times during that campaign, both in the primary and and in the general, where in some cases people wanted to see whether or not I'd get back up. You know, uh, took some hits, took some shots. Some fair, some unfair, but when you're running for mayor for the 14th largest city in America, people want to see if you get back up off the map. And uh, that's half the battle with a lot of folks, even when they disagree with you. They want to know if you're a fighter and that if you're willing to, to get back up, dust yourself off and get back in there. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So you've been in the role for five years now. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that, you know, as you look back, you think about the past five years, what are some of the things, the accomplishments to, uh, you talked some about revitalization of some towns of Columbus, but what are some of the things that you feel most impactful, some of the things you're most proud of? 
Well, I I think a number of things. I I outlined our equity agenda at West High School earlier this year, really focusing on the disparities uh, in the community and, you know, what does the equity agenda mean? It means reducing infant mortality, increasing access to affordable housing, looking at everything through the equity lens to make sure that we're investing in families and neighborhoods fairly and, and opening up doors of opportunity for folks that haven't shared in this great Columbus success story that this juggernaut that we've seen over the last 10 or 15 years. And so I'm proud of the fact that, you know, we've reduced infant mortality by 28%, that we have over $100 million that we're investing into Linden, not just buildings and infrastructure, but people uh, and putting them in positions to be, uh, you know, empowered to control their own futures and economic standing. The investments we're making in the Hilltop and the South Side as well, But I would say that this real focus that we have brought to affordable housing is something I'm really proud of, that for the first time ever in the city's history, we had $50 million that were part of the last bond package approved by the voters overwhelmingly, and we challenged the private sector to come up with $100 million for a housing action fund. And that is going to make a significant difference in people's lives, particularly as we face the global pandemic we're in with all the housing insecurity and evictions and how many folks feel deeper and deeper into an economic hole right now because of displacement and job loss and so forth. That affordable housing effort is going to be, I think, absolutely uh, critical uh, moving forward. And being mayor during a time of, uh, you know, probably the most impactful influence in, in COVID, what was going on here and how it's impacting the city. Talk about, you know, what is your take on how the city's responded to it and how we're currently um, adapting at the moment, what the future looks like with relation to the, the new lifestyle that we're going through? Well, it's obviously something that none of us uh, have ever experienced. And quite honestly, our community and country hasn't gone through and over 100 years. I'm really proud of the way that the governor and the big city mayors, you know, the governor is a Republican, all the big city mayors are Democrats. Uh, But we decided early on that this wasn't a partisan or political issue, this is a public health issue, and that we were going to listen to public health experts and medical experts and do the right thing and face the consequences. So you can imagine being, there's a table that looked a little bit like the one we're sitting at right now, with the governor, myself, Lieutenant Governor, Dr. Amy Acton, Dr. Mashika Roberts, uh, Robin was there, other staff people there. And we were having to decide whether or not we were going to cancel or dramatically alter the biggest weekend in Columbus's calendar, the Arnold uh, Festival. And every hotel room in Franklin County was booked. I mean, this is a huge, huge weekend for Columbus and Central Ohio. And quite honestly, you know, we didn't really know much about COVID, its impact. We were about two weeks away. And I remember being at that table with Governor DeWine, uh, Dr. Acton, Dr. Robertson. He and I looked at each other and, and they both were very clear. Two weeks from that point, this would be a no-brainer. It, 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 you wouldn't even give it a second thought. But you have to trust us because we know things and see things and have spoken to medical experts around the country and around the world that if you have this festival as you have had it in the past, it will be, it could have been um, the quintessential super spreader event beyond belief. If you ever been to the Arnold, you guys know what I'm talking about. You're packed in there like sardines. It's an incredible weekend, incredible. But people are, set, you know, the samples that they're, everybody's touching. Shoulder to shoulder. Shoulder to shoulder. Bumping, That's yeah. part of the excitement of the event, right, is being on top of each other and, and being down there. 
But that, and literally we make that decision and then South by Southwest, all these other big conferences, conventions and events, the MAC tournaments, the NCAA tournament, all those things were still going on when we made that decision. And so, and not everybody sitting around that table, by the way, agreed, but the governor and I decided we were gonna trust our health experts and, and listen to and follow the science. And so I think that was a very important step And I think it also showed people around the state, Republicans and Democrats, even in this very divisive, polarized environment, can work together to focus on what's most important, public health and safety. Don't even hesitate. I cannot imagine what might have happened if we had gone on with the Arnold. And you know what? Maybe, maybe we get lucky and it doesn't pull through. But I mean, that would be pretty incredible with everybody coming in from all over the place to, like you said, I mean, it's, it is jam-packed in there yeah. every year so could have been could have been a tough event hey there conquerors we want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors studio 301 kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love and we have some incredible guests here on the show and studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org. There's also obviously been some other things going on around the country, right? With police violence Mm -hmm. and the awareness around that Black Lives Matter campaign. And Columbus has been a big part of that, right? Mm -hmm. We've had you know, big protests, lots of, lots of the communities involved mm-hmm. and people on both sides asking questions. Mm-hmm. What has been going on for you with that? Like, how have you been handling that? And are you pushing any initiatives to help increase transparency from the Columbus Police Department? Yeah, this has been an, an unprecedented, incredible year, uh, you know, global pandemic. Um, obviously the economic crisis, human services crisis that's come along with that. I think, you know, uh, the greatest racial reckoning in decades, certainly since 1968, and a very open and direct and confrontational conversation about public safety and police community relations and use of force and uh, what the role of police in policing ought to be in our communities. And so, and I think for a lot of our white neighbors, a reckoning that a lot of our African-American friends and neighbors have been dealing with for decades now, 400 years, and they all knew and talked about it, but there are a lot of folks in the white community that either dismissed it, didn't fully understand it and grasp it, to all of a sudden, because everybody was either working remotely, working from home, you know, and you had these issues simmering for years and years and years, and then I think the murder of George Floyd really was kind of that boiling point. And for a lot of white Americans, it was put right in our face you know, to see a man literally have his life squeezed at him over eight minutes and 47 seconds. There was no way to look away. I mean, it, it was right there in, in its graphic entirety. And so I think that really was a catalyst for protests, overwhelmingly peaceful, obviously here and in cities around the country. Uh, there were others that tried to take advantage of this movement to further a very narrow, violent agenda late at night, you know, in the streets of Columbus and in other cities around the country. And and obviously we want to respect, welcome and support peaceful protests. That's part of what makes America great. But we were going to hold people accountable, too, who were looting and stealing and destroying 
public and, and private property. So it's always that balancing act, you know, wanting to make sure that we were encouraging people to, you know, exercise their constitutional rights and demand change and reform, but also make sure that we were keeping the protesters, the police, and uh, other neighbors safe. So out of that came a significant amount of reforms that we announced even back in June and July, which has led us now to place upon the ballot issue two, which is a charter amendment to chain our, our city's charter, our constitution, to put in place a civilian review board. We're the only big city in the country that doesn't have a civilian review board. Uh, an inspector general role that will allow uh, allegations of police misconduct to be investigated independently. There are a lot of folks in our community that feel like the police can't police themselves and that having outside of the chain of command these investigations being conducted by professional investigators, but outside the chain of command, there'll be a greater level of confidence uh, in the division of police moving forward. So we're out promoting issue two and talking to, to our neighbors about that. And that's issue two, everybody. Issue two mm -hmm. on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And this is the voting episode. So get out and vote. <laughs> yeah. Really, really important, right? I mean, it's democracy for a reason. It's That's only right. democracy if we all participate. Yeah. And we we voted early this morning. Uh, the Board of Elections is open there on Morse Road virtually seven days a week now. Uh, I know that there'll be more weekend hours as we get closer to the election. People can still turn in their absentee ballots. They can drop them off there in a box. They can mail them in or they can go to their polling location on Tuesday, November 3rd. What I encourage everybody to do is make a plan. So mm -hmm. whatever it is, don't don't wait to the last minute. Don't you know, we know there's an election coming up. We know people are passionate about these issues. So just make a plan uh, so that you're prepared and you're able to take advantage of it. Super easy to check your polling location, too. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I think there's a there's a web there's a link on a website. And yep. I think it's Vote Ohio. Is mm -hmm. it? And mm -hmm. and then you type in your name, your address, make sure you're registered and then it pops up with your polling location. Mine's actually like two minute walk from mm -hmm. my apartment. So, yeah. And you could pop in your polling location at any point in time. You have to pop in your polling location on Tuesday, November right, 3rd. Right now. You have to go to the Early Vote Center on Morse Road, very near uh, Morse and Carl. Uh, and like I said, this morning I was there in and out 36 minutes, and there were several hundred people. I think they all waited until the rain stopped this morning. Although yesterday it rained all doggone day, and the place was as packed yesterday. So I think it just shows that people are interested, excited about participating, and the fact that they have so many ways, you know, early vote in person, mail, or... Uh, their polling location on election day. I think the polls are open 6.30 to 7.30 on election day at your polling location, but the Early Vote Center is open uh, virtually every day of the week now. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So you got your standard responsibilities. Is there any initiatives, you know, as you look at the last five years that you wish you could have gotten to and, and you hadn't quite gotten to yet and you're looking forward to in the future or anything else that, that falls to mind that's really a top priority for you moving forward? Well, if you talk to any of my staff, I am not a very patient person. And some of these things we're delving into really get to the social determinants of health. And that's based a, a great deal on decisions that have been made in our past that were driven by race. I mean, when you look at the history of this community and communities around the country, you know, redlining didn't just happen. 
There was a rationale and a purpose and a strategy behind redlining. And if you look at our opportunity neighborhoods, you know, the places where the highest rates of infant mortality, highest concentrations of homicide, housing instability, lack of access to fresh foods and fruits and vegetables that you and I take for granted, they call it kind of the upside down T of Columbus. So along 71 and then 70 to the east and west, a lot of our opportunity neighborhoods are based on kind of that upside down T. If you look at the redlining map from the 1920s in Columbus, looks pretty eerily similar to that. And so to answer your question, I wish that we could have a greater impact uh, on some of these huge disparity issues. But I also recognize the fact that this has been going on for, in some cases, a hundred years. And in the cases of systemic racism and discrimination, 400 years in the making, And so it's critically important to me that we continue to show and communicate that progress is being made and that changes are being made. And there are times I wish it was happening faster and sooner. But you're right. I mean, you know, global pandemics will, you know, take your eye off of one ball. But in in some respects, the global pandemic, if we're talking about systemic racism and discrimination, has clearly brought to everyone's attention, the way COVID has impacted communities of color versus, you know, communities of, of, of wealth and access and resources. And so it, it just, I think anybody that came up to me that said that there wasn't disparity and that they didn't believe in systemic racism, I would just simply put them in the car and come with me and travel, you know, communities and neighborhoods around Columbus or communities around the country. And that's why it's incumbent upon us to call it out acknowledge it exists because our neighbors are experiencing it every day. And as leaders, our job is to own the remedy, not just call it out and acknowledge it. That's a cop out if you don't own the remedy. It's a great place to pivot towards our last question of the show. It's it's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that theme is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? So uh, the staff and others like to tease me because uh, the Quakers taught me to get very comfortable with silence. And if you've ever been in a a group setting or with other people, um, most people dread silence uncomfortably, uh, you know, fidgeting and looking around and very nervous with, with silence. The Quakers have taught me to get comfortable with that. So if I guess I can get comfortable with silence, I can get comfortable with just about anything. I would say live uncomfortably to me means not resting on your laurels, not accepting the status quo. And that means not just as a leader with folks that are part of the team, but as an individual. And that is, yes, you are the mayor of the 14th largest city in the country. You've done all of these things. You've held these offices and that's wonderful and great. But as an individual and as a leader, am I challenging myself to think about and do things differently? It is my job, you know, based on the conversation that we've had here today, to be in uncomfortable conversations. And if I'm putting myself out of those situations or settings because it's uncomfortable, then I'm not growing and developing as a leader. My job, you know, there was a day last year where I I sat down for lunch with the leaders of the People's Justice Project and the following day with the president of the FOP. 
You didn't think you lived in the same community, uh, country. You didn't even think you lived on the same planet. But that's my job is to sit in those rooms and to hear from people about their experiences, uh, the challenges, the setbacks, their concerns, their fears. Um, and I really believe my job as mayor uh, and as a leader in this community is to commit to living uncomfortably all the time. And uh, it can be tiresome. It can be frustrating, but it can also be overwhelmingly rewarding if you're willing to submit. Mary Genther, that's a great answer. And thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate learning a little more about you and your story and, and talk about Columbus with you. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that episode, get out and vote. Again, it's the voting episode. So go do it. It's important and you need to make your voice heard. But if you enjoyed that episode, leave us a like, share it with your friends. And again, can't do this without your guys' support. So appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.